you and to just ask that he would speak to us as he promises to do through his precious word. So I'm hoping that uh, you're uh, tracking along. We're in the book of Acts and man we have been plugging away. Uh, We are in chapter 8 and uh, if you're a guest with us and new uh, to the TCC family, we just want to let you know that we too try to plug through books of the Bible and uh, we're going through the book of Acts right now and so we find ourselves in Acts chapter 8. I'm just going to read the last little bit of this passage uh, for us, Acts chapter 8, verses 34 through 40, and um, just to kind of get us a a general gist of where we're headed. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one at the end of each row. We encourage you to get that and to use that because we'll be referring to these passages uh, throughout the time because we want God's Word to guide us. So um, I want to read the Bible and then pray for us. Word of God, Acts chapter 8, verses 34 through 40, reads this way. And the Ethiopian eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And he has just read Isaiah 53, so that's the prophet he's speaking of, Isaiah. Then Philip, verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let me pray for us. Father, I ask that in this moment, that you would powerfully and uniquely use your word to press into our individual hearts that it might grow us closer together to the community that you formed called the church, that we might be a people together who show a picture to the world of your love and grace and mercy. And so, Father, I just ask that right now that each of us would receive a fresh wind from your Holy Spirit. That you would protect us from viewing this time and, and experiencing this time as something that's plastic or impersonal. But that you would call us to yourself. That you would draw us all to you. You would give us a hunger to know you and you would take each one of us into a personal relationship with you that is vital and powerful and filled with faith. That you would change us all in this very moment. I ask, O God, that we would take our stories, the journey that you've brought us along, and we would cast it all at your feet, and that we would cry out to you, the living God, to change us, to forgive us, and to empower us to live radical, beautiful, shocking lives of love in the way that you've crafted our story to go. So, Father, please, meet with us now. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. So I don't know about you, but, you know, once every four years, I start getting interested in things in sports that I wasn't interested in for the previous four years, namely these sports that have to do with snow. Uh, the Olympics are on, and uh, so we have, as a family, been watching the Olympics and watching how all of these uh, athletes have kind of really crafted their past four years at least for this moment. And as we watch this, you know, we are suckers. I'm a sucker, you're a sucker. It's okay. It's, it's fine to be in that category. We're suckers for the story that when someone kind of comes along and they have had just this horrible event in their life. Maybe it was an injury. Maybe they just fell just a little short of their goal. And now we see them in this games and we begin to root for them because we want this story to kind of turn out you know, fairy tale-ish, a sense of, you know, we, we all know deep down that not everyone can win, even though there's a lot of these stories. But the media helps us by only telling us a few of the stories, so then we might root for them. And some of that's even scripted because they know ahead of time who's going to win, <laughs> but that's not the point. Um, and it is helpful. As I was watching this event called The Skeleton. Okay, I think it's called that because if you wreck, that's all that's going to be left. (laughs) These people are on this. It was the women's skeleton I'm watching. And they're on this little sled that is going to go 85 plus miles an hour. And their chin is about three inches at most off the ice. It's, it's, in my opinion, it's the definition of insanity. We call it a sport. And so this woman, her name is Noelle Picus Pace. In 2006, for the U.S., she was ready and primed for the Olympics, and she was standing there just in a training exercise, and this bobsled comes up and goes haywire and clips her leg, and then she's not able to be in the Olympics. So then her next story, she goes and she gives it all she has for the Olympics and she comes in fourth and therefore does not get a medal. She says she's retiring after this and then the passion was just there. She said she couldn't give up, but she wanted to do this with her family. So her husband makes this sled, (laughs) boy better be good, makes this sled for her and the whole family shows up in Sochi and now they're all there waiting to see if she wins and sure enough, she goes through and she wins the silver medal for the USA. And we love those stories. And it's because it's hardwired in us to love those stories. We are meant to love when out of tragedy comes beauty. We were crafted to love it when difficulty then is overcome by life and excelling. And God is so kind. He is so kind to give us pictures in our world that begin to show us just a little bit of the picture that He gave us in His Son. For there's nothing more tragic than the perfect Son of God dying a death that He did not deserve for sinners. And there's nothing more beautiful than to see three days later He rose from the dead so that those very sinners who killed Him could be rescued and made whole. When we were talking about adoption, adoption is what I call tragic beauty. It is a horrible story 
of sometimes abandonment or sometimes just bad circumstances and bad upbringing or whatever has gone on. Just a sense of unwantedness and brokenness of family all of a sudden turns beautiful through difficulty and pain. And families are made. God is kind to show us tragic beauty. And our God specializes, as He did on the cross, to take death and bring life. We were crafted to delight in that story because it's our story. All of us broken. All of us in shambles. All of us a mess. All of us separated from Jesus. And through His death, He said, you can be rescued. And so that's what we see in this passage today about this Ethiopian eunuch and how he comes to faith in Jesus Christ, how he is rescued and made whole. And there's three things we're going to look at today. Number one, Jesus' death brings life to the outcast and the prominent. We see that in verses 26 through 31. We also see that Jesus' death brings life through the Word. And we see that in verses 32 through 38. And we also see that Jesus' death brings life that rejoices and spreads. And that's the end, verses 39 and 40. So let's go at it today. Jesus' death, number one, brings life to the outcast and to the prominent. Let's look at the story. Verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip... Remember who Philip is. Philip was one who experienced the persecution in Jerusalem. People are now being killed and captured and imprisoned for their faith. Philip escapes and he goes and he is found speaking the good news in Samaria. Well, then Peter and John come to verify that these hated people, the Samaritans were hated people by the Jews, that they had really experienced a movement of the Spirit of God. And sure enough, Peter and John came, the apostles who had walked with Jesus, and they saw that the Spirit of God was alive and at work, and they laid their hands. The Holy Spirit came upon these people to verify that the Samaritans were really being made a part of the people of God. And so Peter and John, it says in verse 25, right before our passage today, it says, Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. And now as we're reading through the story, we're supposed to say, well, what happened to Philip? And so verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord sent Philip even further south to an area called Gaza. So Peter and John stopped in Jerusalem. Philip kept going on down, urged by what we see is the Spirit of God to go down to Gaza. Now, it says also that this is a desert place. And that word can actually meant or be used to modify the word road. So it could be a desert place or it could be a desert road. The point of that detail and why it's there is because it's meant to signify a place that you would really not want to go. A place that's kind of surprising or unexpected that the gospel would kind of venture into this place. So already at the beginning of the story, it's being set up that the gospel goes into unexpected and surprising places. But it even gets more shocking and more surprising because... Look who it goes to. Verse 27. And Philip, he rose up and he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, 
Candace is a name used for this line of queens of Ethiopia. So it's defined as Candace meaning the queen of the Ethiopians who was in this Ethiopian eunuch was in charge of all of her treasure. So, we already see that this is a, a desert place, a place of hotness and difficulty. And now we see this man. This man is described in three ways. He is an Ethiopian, he is a eunuch, and he is the treasurer of all of the queen's treasure. So let's look at each one of them as we go through. When I was in middle school, I, probably like some of you, um, really craved the approval of others. Middle school is the prime area for awkwardness. My wife substitute taught. My parents were both middle school teachers for 40 some odd years. They have this odd smell of like sweat and erasers. You know, it's just, this, it's just odd. They're barely knowing how to wash. And, you know, it's just, it's just an unfortunate time. You get braces, you know, some carrying the headgear deal. You know, you get your, it's just an odd time. So pray for our middle schoolers. But in middle school, while I was seeking to get approval from others, I would, I would tell jokes to make fun of people so that people would want to, you know, think I was cool, except, for, of course, the people I was making fun of. But it was a thing to tell Ethiopian jokes. I don't know if any of you did this, but it was very common to tell Ethiopian jokes where I grew up. To talk about how skinny they were. Because you would see the pictures of famine which had hit uh, southern Ethiopia especially hard and just to make fun of that. And the same situation when you would talk about uh, because the education was really difficult in those impoverished countries, just the education wasn't so good and talk about their intelligence. And I just tell jokes. And praise God, I don't remember them anymore, but I went and looked at the internet just to see if they're still out there. And sure enough, I remembered some of them. And they broke my heart. Because it's very easy to make fun of people you don't know. But then I went. I went to Ethiopia. And I walked on their roads. And I saw the people had faces and lives. Pictures of laughter. And I walked with them and I heard their stories. I listened. I experienced their kindness. Their hospitality. Their graciousness. And at the same time, their pain and their lostness. You know, it changes everything when you get to know somebody. When you listen to their story. When they're not just a face in a crowd, but when they're a soul, a heart that hurts just like I hurt, that needs change just like I need change. That needs redeeming just like I need redeeming. That gets angry just like I get angry. That gets impatient just like I get impatient. And when the Spirit of God is at work and we listen to one another's stories, compassion begins to well up. Oh, that we would get into one another's lives and hear one another's stories. Both of this church and in the unbelievers that God brings around us. 
May God make us listeners. Because in God's beautiful irony, I now kiss two Ethiopians every single day. They're my children that we adopted while we were in Ethiopia. We've made three trips to Ethiopia in that whole journey. And God is kind to redeem what was broken in my heart and to make it beautiful. The question is, why are the Ethiopians here in this passage? It's because the Ethiopians were the picture of the outcast. In Genesis chapter 10, it is the Ethiopians that come from the line of Ham. Ham was the one son of Noah who looked upon his nakedness and drunkenness and tried to make a public spectacle out of it. And it was from the line of Ham where all the enemies of God, where all the people who weren't following God came from, and the first on the list was Cush, C-U-S-H. And the people of Cush are the people of Ethiopia. That's where this man is from in this passage. And it is specifically, it's the area of northern Sudan and northern Ethiopia, even into what's now Eritrea, which used to be Ethiopia. And that's the area of the Ethiopians. That's where this man came from. But Ethiopians, they were the picture of disobedience. So much so that when you came to the book of Amos, a minor prophet, Amos chapter 9, verse 7, and he says to his disobedient people, just to show them how disobedient they are, he says, are you not like the Cushites to me? He holds the Ethiopians up as a picture of rebellion. But then, just as the prophets do, in three or so verses later, in Amos 11 through 12, he talks about how he is going to work among those very people who were disobedient. He's going to work among the nations. And this is even the passage, Amos 9, 11, and 12, that's quoted in Acts 15, that we will see as the gospel really presses full bore into the Gentile territories. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 10, also is this promise that God promises that one day there will come a Messiah through whom will rescue the nations among whom the Cushites, the Ethiopians, are a part. So when Ethiopian is used here and a Jewish audience is reading it, they're meant to think outcast, not a part of God's people. So, it's a hot area where nobody really wants to go. And now he runs into this Ethiopian man who just by his very ethnicity to the Jews meant outcast. And now he's also number two. He's a eunuch. Now, I'm not going to go into detail on what a eunuch is. Okay? It's a man who's been emasculated. Okay? If you don't know what that is, you can go look it up at another time. It's a bad thing for a man. Okay? He is emasculated. And what he normally did was he watched over a harem. So he was genuinely and normally a picture of pagan living, living without the Spirit of God. Both what he carried in his body in destroying body and also in how he lived his life in kind of governing this idea of prostitution. So he was a eunuch. And what's meant to be highlighted there is in Deuteronomy 23 verse 1, the eunuch was to have no place in the worship of God's people. So now you have one who 
was identified with all the pagan nations who weren't walking with God, and you have one who was the marginalized of society. The case is looking pretty bleak for anything to happen in this man's life. And then on top of that, it says he was a treasurer of all the queen's treasure. You weren't expecting this. You would think somebody who from an outcast area who is marginalized, that many times you associate that with maybe poverty or ignorance. No, no, no. This man is intelligent. I was at Starbucks the other day and I try to make a lot of relationships with guys. One guy who I've been in a relationship with, he's come to church before. I struck up a conversation with him again as I'm getting to know his life. And he said um, that I asked him what he does. And he said that he um, sells stocks. And friends, my brain just doesn't work that way. It hurts when I began to think about economics. And he was just saying, I said, so do you work for a company and stuff? No, I just, I just picked it up and I do it at home. And you're making a living? Yeah, I mean, like this guy's in Starbucks every time I'm there. And he's always getting the mumbo jumbo. And, you know, those things are expensive. And so, you know, he's doing okay. He's doing okay. And he's an intelligent man. To be an economist, you've got to have some smarts. And so sometimes with your intelligence or the managing of money, that can be a source of power. Jesus says it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because you let your riches go to your head sometimes. It's a sense of power and prestige. It's not that riches are bad. No, not at all. It's the love of riches that will kill you. I pray that God would flourish our businesses so that we might be generous for the cause of His name. However, we have to be cautious. Because when you have much intelligence or when you are good with money, it can become a vice and grip you. So now you've got this man who is an Ethiopian estranged in this hot desert area and he's a eunuch who is marginalized and now he is... Up for grabs when it comes to just this power and hunger for money. And those things can be difficult. All of a sudden, the case is stacked against him. And the beauty is, God changes him. Changes him. God delighted to have His gospel progress among this people. Among this people who should not have had any lot in God's plan. But God in His grace had them a part of His plan. And so we look at this Ethiopian and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was coming to worship and he was put in this, probably where the Gentiles worshipped, they were in this court where the Gentiles all gathered. But he came on his own to worship. So he was this God-fearing man who was fascinated by the Jewish religion and by the Jewish Scriptures. But he was not a believer in Jesus. Didn't know Jesus. But this man is fascinated with the Jewish religion. He comes and he worships there. And then he picks up the Scriptures. And it says in verse 28, he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So he's just fascinated with the Scriptures of the Jewish people. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join the chariot. You know what it's like to just have the Spirit of God kind of push on you and and give you a nudge or an impression that you should go and talk to somebody. And then what it's like to say, no, that's not the right person. This isn't the right time. I I just don't think that they're ready for this, etc., etc. You know Philip could have had all of those things because of this massive list, could have had all of these things in his mind. 
But look at the response, and this is what I pray. So Philip ran to him. Good night. <laughs> the Spirit nudges and he runs. Oh, that God would do that in our hearts. Now, honestly, it will be a little awkward, you know. Spirit God, you know, comes over you and you sprint up to somebody. Okay, so I wouldn't recommend that necessarily in your, in your just getting to know people. But here, it was appropriate. Philip ran to him and heard him reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Okay, now this was, this was pretty remarkable. The guy's reading the Bible. Probably not going to be hard to talk to him about the Bible while he's sitting there reading the Bible. And he asked, do you understand what you are reading? And it is beautiful to see how when Philip went, all of a sudden the result of this is that he engages him in a conversation. A conversation around the Scriptures. And God fulfills His Word by saving a Cushite. And God brings life out of death by overcoming the heart of the marginalized. And we begin to celebrate that Jesus' death brings life for the outcast, for the marginalized, and even for the prominent that He delights to save the rich, the poor, across all ethnicities, no matter the background, it is His delight to change the human heart. Now, I was dealing with uh, my children, and they were just having a struggle. And one of my sons got angry, and the Lord had convicted him of it in his heart, and he just began to, to just be really sad over the fact that he's constantly angry. And he was just thinking, there is no way I'm ever going to be able to change. And I began to share with him, I was like, son, I had massive anger issues. I mean, there was a time in second grade, I remember, we were playing kickball, okay? And as we were playing kickball, there was this kid named John Mashburn, okay? He had red hair, he had a rat tail. Okay, rat tails are fashion faux pas. They should have been then, they are now. Anyway, had a rat tail, and so we were playing kickball. And as he kicks the ball, I'm out in the middle of... The, the field on this team, I was supposed to have been paying attention. I wasn't. And I got hit with a ball right there in the shoulder. And I was just like, what are you doing? You know, you know he's like, I was playing kickball. You know, well, no, that wasn't enough for me. You know, I just got all riled up and got in his face. What are you doing? And he's like, so you better back away. You better back away. You know, he had self-control. I didn't. And so I was just all angry and up in his face. And then finally he just hauled off and hit me in the face. Because I was saying, hit me, come on, hit me. And then he hit me in the face. And then, of course, I hit the ground and a tear came out my eye. But I said it was, you know, just uh, water. Anyway, um, and it was. It was a sad moment. But, you know, I know most men don't tell those kind of stories, but I'm okay. I'm secure. I was in second grade. Come on, give me a break. Um, but I just had a temper. And it would, it would flare. And, you know... That's who I was. And God in His kindness, he, He's come and He's helping me with my anger. I'm not the same person I used to be. I'm not the same person. And you know what? He was sitting there and I told him a story of somebody else in our church. Somebody else who's actually shared their testimony here that just in their anger had a horrible outburst of anger and really hurt somebody. It ended them up in prison. And that yet God delivered them from that and that their anger, it, that God is constantly working with them on their anger and there's been much victory. And when I told him that that person dealt with anger, he said, 
that person does? Really? And all of a sudden, he began, the lights began to click on that God really does work in the human heart. He really does deal with the outcast. He really does deal with the marginalized. He really does deal with people like me. And my son got this sense of hope because he knew other stories of God's work. Friends, we've got to be about telling our story to one another. (laughs) Reminding one another, no, we're not perfect, but God has done an amazing work of transformation. And He does it in the here and now, not just back in the book of Acts. Jesus' death brings life to the outcast, to the marginalized, to the prominent. You should not hold your life up as one that He will not be able to deal with because you're too bad. Nor should you be one that walks around hopeless that you'll never be able to change. His death and resurrection prove that He is powerful enough to change you today. But not only does He change the outcast and the marginalized, He also, His death brings life specifically through His Word. This is what happens. Philip ran to the man, the Ethiopian eunuch, and he was reading the book of Isaiah and asked, and Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? This is a very helpful thing. He does not tell him, he asks him a question. He doesn't say, let me tell you about this. He says, do you understand? When you engage with people, asking them questions is the best way to start off. Because it shows that you want to hear from them, not that you just have something to give them. People long to be heard. They want their story to be listened to. And this is what this man does. Philip reaches in and he asks a question. Do you understand what you are reading? And then he said, well, how can I unless someone guides me? (laughs) It's like, woo, okay, I can take this, okay? He's just like throwing the ball up and I'm ready to knock it out. You know, it's like, okay. But friends, these stories are not just unique to this one moment in time. People are longing to know about their purpose and significance, where peace come from, comes from, how relationships can be mended. They are longing to know what is the significance of my life. They are asking eternal questions. And many times we never get the softball kind of question because we're not asking other people about their lives. And if we just get into their lives and listen to their stories... I think we would have more of these kind of moments where we begin to see people are asking the very questions that we have answers to because of Christ. And the very thing that happened in our life, someone cared enough to listen to us, someone shared with us the good news of Jesus, and many of you in this room have been changed. It's something worth spreading. And it begins with the listening ear. And here's what he says. He says, how can I understand this unless someone guides me? So many people are wanting someone to lovingly walk alongside them. And so he invited Philip to come and to sit with him. That's a humble thing for this prominent man to do. So you can begin to see the Spirit of God was already working. 
And now the passage of the Scripture that he was reading was this. And he was reading Isaiah 53. And we begin to see what Philip does is he doesn't just use creative and fancy words. He just takes them to the Bible and trusts that the Bible is going to be able to do what it already has done in Philip's heart. That is, change him. The living Word of God is just that. It is living. It is active. It is powerful. It cuts down into what it says in Hebrews 4, into joint and marrow. It goes down to the core of the being. And it changes. And so what does he do? He brings the Bible to bear upon this man's life. And here's the Scripture. I'm just going to read it right there from uh, verses 32 and 33. It's actually Isaiah 53. And it says this. Verse 32. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And who's the he is what this man is going to ask. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. And his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the Ethiopian eunuch says to the man in verse 34, About whom, I ask you, Philip, does this prophet say? Does he say this about himself? Or about somebody else. And so what does Philip do? What we can do from any point in the Bible. Because the whole Bible is about Jesus Himself. It says, Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the Scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. Jesus is the one that was longing to come. He was the one that the... Israelite people were longing to come and to change their life. He was the one in the New Testament when He did come that changed the people on the spot. He was the one that said, I will return and come again. That we long to see Him face to face when there will be a new heavens and a new earth and all tears are wiped away and there will be no more death nor sorrow. He is the story and the hero of this book. It's about Jesus. And so everywhere you go in this book, you can get to Jesus because it's all pointing to him. And that's what Philip did. He heard his story, he listened to his questions, and then he went to the Bible and he said, I believe this book is powerful enough to change you. So he just goes through the Bible to address this man's questions. And we don't fully have the dialogue. We don't know how it all went. But we do have the Ethiopian eunuch's response. And we see it in verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to see some water. And the eunuch said, See here, here, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Well, now all of a sudden, we know that from Isaiah 53, he's just laid out this whole story that allows an Ethiopian to be a part of God's family through Jesus' death and resurrection that leads to identifying with this Jesus through baptism. He did all that from Isaiah 53. And so now, when we look at Isaiah 53, you can almost hear the dialogue that probably happened. And you look at Isaiah 53, verses 11 and 12, and it says this, Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, that's Jesus, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. It is 
There is one to come, and He has come. His name is Jesus. And He came and lived the life we couldn't live. He's the perfectly righteous one. And yet He stood in our place, and our sin was dumped upon Him, and He bore our sin, that's our iniquities, so that any sinner who trusts in Jesus can now be credited with righteousness. Debt. Paid, forgiveness brought, sin wiped away, washed white as snow. That's good news. All from Isaiah 53. That Jesus put Himself there in our place, took our sin, and now we are called righteous if we trust in His death on our behalf because He took the punishment that our sins deserve. It's right there. And you know Philip just walked through this. And then he went on to say, well, did he stay dead? How does this work? In verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered when the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and presently makes intercession for the transgressors. How does he do that? Because he's alive. Death did not defeat him. He defeated the grave. Sin, Satan, and death were put away. And now he actively intercedes for you and me when we even we don't even know what to pray. He is praying for us. He's alive. And He wants a personal relationship with each and every one of us. It's beautiful. But then maybe the Ethiopian said, that sounds really good for God's chosen people, but what about me? I'm a Cushite. I'm an Ethiopian. I should be estranged. And then he's able to go to Isaiah 52, the very end, right before Isaiah 53, and it says that He will do this work among the nations. This is God's design that His people don't just come from Jewish ethnicity, but people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and family will be gathered around His throne and giving Him praise. And the Ethiopian hears that and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Philip says, well, you must repent of your sin. This isn't just mere religion and being fascinated with the Jewish religion. You must turn from your sin. And you must trust in Jesus alone to forgive you because obviously you can't get rid of your sin yourself. That's why the servant had to come. And if you trust in Him, then you should receive His forgiveness and be baptized because that's a way that you're saying, I died to my sin and I'm brand new and I want to tell the world that I've been changed. And so that's why he's got the response. Well, here's some water. I want to be baptized. You see how that happened? Jesus' death brought life through the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful. Many times we have it sitting on the shelf collecting dust. But friends, that's not meant to be a guilt statement. It's meant to be a statement, Oh, come and eat. Come and feast. I know you're hungry. I know you're starving for for peace and for joy, for a soul that's revived. And I can say Psalm 19 tells you the Word of God revives the soul. It rejoices the heart. It makes wise the simple. It enlightens the eyes. It warns us and it promises us of great reward. That's the Word of God. It does that in your heart. Many of you, if I were to ask you, could stand up and share, yes, God has changed me. He has dealt with me. Although I should be an outcast, although I have treated and stumped upon His grace like crazy, yet I repent of my sin and He has come and changed me. And I can say He has done that. Friends, 
His death brings life through the Word. And it is beautiful. It is beautiful that the Word of God has been given to us that we might be changed. But finally, we've got to understand that the Word of God, His death brings life. A life that rejoices and a life that spreads. We've got to ask ourselves, let's just say the script went perfectly. The softball was thrown up. Would we really be able to take Isaiah 53 and share with Him the story of how Jesus has changed us? We've got to begin to ask ourselves that question. And this is why we did the training on the story. I have this little track. There's some out there. Because you need to not only understand your story, you know your story well, but think about your story in light of God's story. About how He has changed you. About how He has created you with purpose. About how He redeems you and constantly works in your life. And then you'll be able to listen. You'll be able to listen and see that those stories that you're hearing are stories just like yours. Stories of shame and guilt and longing for freedom and longing for purpose and significance. And you're able to then say, can I take you to the Bible? I've heard this from you and this has happened in my life and I just want to share with you. God has designed us to rejoice and to spread. And this is what happened at the end of the passage. Look at verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. When the Spirit of God came, joy came in the heart. A sense of contentment, a sense of glad-heartedness. Not that everything was perfect, but that God was at work. And that He he can be trusted in our trials, just like we talked about last week. This is the joy that God can bring to the heart. And it says here in the passage that Philip was carried away. Some of you might read that as like, poof, Philip went away and now, zam, he was in Azotus, which is the town that's mentioned there. That might have happened. God can do that. I don't, I don't doubt that in the least. However, the wording here can be read just as easily that the Spirit of God then prompted him again to move on to Azotus and he never saw the Ethiopian eunuch again. So I think that's probably the reading because then he goes from Azotus and then he goes 55 miles from there up to Caesarea. And it was in Caesarea where it says in Acts 21, we don't hear from Philip again until Acts 21. In Acts 21, Philip is there with his four unmarried daughters. So obviously he settled down in Caesarea and he was just a gospel spreader where where he was raising up a family. Just like I pray many of us are. Gospel spreaders where we are. And that's what God does when He brings life out of death. He not only rejoices the heart, but He pushes us to spread His fame to others so that those hearts might be rejoicing. I was sitting at a conference the other day and hearing a pastor share about his love for the hurting people of his community. And he shared that he tries to, every single week, meet with someone who doesn't know the peace and joy that comes in Jesus Christ. And I was struck to the heart by just that example. Because I have been, I meet with people periodically. I talk to a lot of people here in this church and love that. But of a face-to-face, one-on-one, it had probably been a month since I had sat down with, a, with a, a person that doesn't know Jesus, a person who's just asking all these questions, and just get to know them. 
And so I have made it my aim that I'll try to follow this example. My target is going to be to try to meet with um, someone who doesn't know Jesus once a week and just get into their lives and just sit down and get to know them. And that honestly, when I said that, it seemed really daunting to me. But I prayed. I prayed, God, you never hit a target if it's not out there. So I'm just going to put it out there. I know I might fail. I might succeed. I'm just going to put it out there. And can I tell you what's been happening? Relationships that I never knew all of a sudden are starting to come at me right and left. And my eyes are more aware and I'm thinking, hey, I could just ask this guy to coffee. I could just go over to his house and just hang out for a second and see how he's doing. And all of a sudden, it begins to make a little more sense. Like, getting to know people is really not that hard. It just takes some time. I've got to, I've got to make it a priority. I've got to carve it out. But I was just, I now have a post-it note and a half of people that I can spend time with. Sitting on my desk that I can pray for. Maybe that's not what God is stirring in your heart. But I just encourage you, set a target. Maybe it's once a month. Maybe it's once a quarter. Maybe it's, there's one person I know that doesn't know Jesus and I've never talked to them. I just want to get to know them this year. I want to listen to their story. Don't try to be me. Don't try to be someone else. Press into the Spirit of God and just know this. He has come into your heart to give you joy that you might spread that joy where you are as He has gifted you and wired you. But we are all wired to be spreaders. That's our new nature. And that's what we see in this passage. That's what we see in this passage. There's this beautiful thing that happens. Through Jesus' death, He brings life. He brings it to the outcast and the marginalized. To the prominent even. He brings it through His Word. And when He brings it, it's a life of joy. And a life that's meant to be spread. Let's do it as a family. Let's do it together. Let's pray. Father, I love You and I thank You for loving us. And I just pray now that there would be much joy in our city. Much joy in this city, the city of Raleigh. Because we have cared enough to listen to the stories of one more. Even if we just listened to one person's story and got in their life over this next year. Began to see them find hope in Jesus. The success that we measure is just engaging. We cannot change the human heart. And so God, help us to measure things by your measuring. Not by everything going always rosy like it did to this Ethiopian eunuch. But we pray for that and we can expect that because you are at work in the here and now. And so may we not go with just this defeatist mentality, but belief that your word is powerful. And that it has changed our lives and that it can change others. Sometimes it will happen in the first encounter and sometimes it will happen after years. But God, we just pray that we will be faithful to get to know, to ask questions, to listen, to get into people's lives, to share our story, and to show them how their story fits into your grand story that we read about in the Scriptures. Oh, Father, thank You so much for not throwing away the outcast or none of us could stand. But You sent Your Son with intentional love that we might be made new and given hope and peace. Do that in our lives, I pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together as a time of reflection.